Hello and welcome to Paper Tuesdays with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin. We're in the new studio, Michael. We are. We are. Actually, it's all changed today. We're sitting on opposite sides. Oh, we are too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's embrace it. Yin and yang. <laughs> my energies are flowing, my chakras. Yeah, let's bounce. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's bounce on the chakras. Yeah, this is going to be great, Mark. This yeah. is exciting times for Paper Tuesdays. Yeah, as uh, Bob Dylan said, the times they are changing, mm. you know what I said last mm. time? Don't criticize what you don't understand. So this is our casting couch. So mm. anyone who wants to come onto the podcast has to sit on the casting couch with Michael. Yeah. And uh, he needs some first-hand experience before he gets the, the real interview. Yeah. And this week, Flem the Frog has been casting as well. Let's check out what he's been up to, Mark. It's a lovely day altogether, so it is. I think I'll go for a nail walk. Ah, uh, look. Look who it is. It's Mr. Pat the Plank Kenny coming over here. Uh, Pat the Plank, I mean, like, you're the most boring presenter on RTE television, and now you're the most boring presenter in radio. You should be in the Guinness Book of Records for being the most boring presenter in history. Well, I am trying to do that. I am trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records. And how dare you call me a plank? I know I can say what I like. I mean, like, you are a plank. Well, I suppose you're right. So, Pat, is it true now that your father and your grandfather and your great-great-grandfather were outrageous? Well, that is in fact true, Frog. My grandfather, my great-grandfather and father are oak trees. But now my grandfather and father are now a table and a chair. Really? Is that true? Yeah. Yes, and when I leave News Talk one day, I would like to become a table, not a chair, a table. Ah, yeah, so you're going to become a table, Pat? Yes, I will. I would like to be part of a table because I think tables are better than chairs. And that was Flem the Frog with Pat the Plank, Kenny. Uh, he takes requests. Flem will... Have a look at anything, really. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening and you would like a uh, Flem mm. uh, uh, concept mm. from Flem, please let us know and we'll, yeah. we'll pitch it to him. Let's see what he can do. I think he's hitting right quite the niche because have you heard of this thing about uh, well-known people because of COVID, they're looking for other streams of income. So they'll mm. give, um, like, I think Nigel Farage gave a birthday message, like, for £50 or something like that, you know. So <laughs> maybe Flem the Frog would be giving birthday yeah, messages. Yeah, Cameo, isn't that the app people use? Oh, that it? must be it, so yeah. Flem could be on Cameo. Yeah, yeah. I can see that happening. Yeah, Flem is slowly taking over Paper Tuesday's <laughs> industry. He surely is. Parish of the Week, Mark. We're going over to, back to her um, hand forth. Remember we went to them back in January about mm. the meeting and Jackie Weaver's um, behaviour and... Oh, yeah, yes, yes, Jackie. Yeah. Uh, was she Beyonce or... Who oh, um, Please refer to me oh, as yeah, Britney Spears from now on. To that. But anyway, yeah, so the, this was a parish council meeting that spiralled out of control and, yeah, the, she was told that she had no authority by the parish clerk. And now it's emerged anyway that this parish clerk has put up a 15 minute on video on YouTube explaining why he was a bit too hot, but that he was still in the right. Oh, he's yeah. on his side of the yeah, story. He's, yeah, apparently, like I was looking at it, like there are now numerous um, BBC articles about the Hanford scandal because they're saying, oh, um, people were calling for the parish council to be abolished then they wanted it to be amalgamated and then there were more rows so apparently there's a netflix series in the making in this one 
It's going on for months. Is that for real? There is actually Netflix. Well, there are, no, no, no. Sorry, there are comments oh, underneath are comments. all these articles, and they're yeah. like, "This, there's Netflix here." Because when you go onto YouTube, like people have edited all their Zoom footage, and like you're saying, hand forth again, and have all this made it into kind of like this um, superhero clash of between the Parish Clark and and Jackie Weaver, and you know, making it out to be much more. Or are they just unveiling the truth? Are are BBC playing it down? Oh, do you know, is it an inside job? Is there a lot going on there that BBC are trying to cover up? Yeah. You always have a good twist on things, man. Oh, there you go. Well, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> Regardless, they get Parish of the Week again. First time they ever got Parish of the Week again. But look, <laughs> it's yeah, we're breaking ground here on Paper Chooses now, Mark. Yeah. I've had a great story here from the New York Times friend of the pod. And they, in, Italian police accused man of getting paid for 15 years while skipping work. Oh, wow. <laughs> Incredible stuff. Incredible. It's quite the achievement, really, for mm. Mr. Scucciamachi. He's 67 and he was fired last year from a hospital where he, I think he was working as basically a fire, yeah, hospital fire safety employee. I'd love to know, like, if he challenged him and said, yeah, and has there been a fire? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe he was working remotely. Working <laughs> remotely. <laughs> yeah, he had told friends that he had already retired and he took it easy at home for the <laughs> It's brilliant. It's a great story. I love that. He's on the hop. Yeah, on the hop. Yeah, for 15 years. <laughs> Um, apparently Italy has a problem with these so the police have started investigations but uh, like uh, people tried to bring him down in HR and uh, then that person in HR started getting threats so they stopped they left him be they left him at be at home yeah. and it was only did they find out after 15 years So I it's more investigate police involvement right. kind of uh, has culminated now after uh, a wealth of investigations not only in this hospital but in other parts of Italy they're cracking down on what they call time card weasels i think is what they call there were other initial there were other examples of people who like a traffic officer who lived in the building and was captured with a hidden camera clocking into work in his underwear and then he'd go back and get dressed show up later in his clothes and he tried to argue that he was just saving time <laughs> he's right though i don't know you probably don't have a clocking system in work do you no thankfully. Uh, i worked in a job where i did have to clock in system and if you had to clock in sorry if you clocked in 15 minutes after the hour, you weren't paid for that hour. Oh. So if you clocked in at 16 minutes past, you worked for 45 minutes for free. So you might as well have just taken the whole hour off. Wow. These clocking systems. Ah, it's soul destroying, isn't it? Like, I don't fucking blame them. <laughs> I think so, Mark. Here, um, we'll, we'll go to a few. Your ones this week are just incredible. Why can't boys put love hearts on each other's pictures? Yeah, Mark? Right, we're all getting very progressive. Why can't I ask this question? I know other people on the other side where I say, Mark, you can't say that. <laughs> Who is this madman pushing the boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> but girls do it the whole time. They yeah. put loves or hearts or, oh, can't deal or so gorge or, mm. oh, you or all this fucking inflammatory bullshit <laughs> that we don't give each other. <laughs> Why can't we do it? Why can't we big each other up? Why can't men get behind men and give it to them? <laughs> yeah, so but, I want to... I want... <laughs> but... Love hearts, like mm. it has to be love hearts for you. Love hearts, yeah. I'd be more into like the power of fist, you oh, know, that yeah, thing, this. like boom, boom, or two boom. fists, or, two fists or the handshake. Yeah, handshake. Yeah, handshake is good. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, 
maybe not love hearts. I'll give love hearts to men, and I see, you know, I see what mm. kind of reactions I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will. I've had, I've had encounters with some men who wanted my love hearts on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they wanted more than love hearts. Yeah, they did, and they got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only joking. I'm happily lonely. Yeah, uh, white boy summer. So, is this a show or? Uh, is this a... Chet Hanks is Tom Hanks' son. Uh, I don't know, Robbie. Maybe we can play the clip. She'll only beat it, I'm a white boy, want it, uh, bad gal, white dandada, rude boy, it's a white boy summer, huh? or maybe we can't, so, <laughs> Chet Hanks is Tom Hanks' son, and he is away with the fairies, right, uh, in his own little world, as we'd say, mm. but he, uh, a while ago, he first sort of came onto the public sphere, because he was on a red carpet at an event, and he started speaking in a Jamaican accent, All right. in a non-comedic way, he was sort of being half serious, talking about his white brothers and stuff, and then he he posted a video of himself in his car recently in response. I think there's like a trend of hot girl summer or something, isn't there? Have oh, you seen right. that? No. And he said that it, to him it's feeling like a white boy summer, that him and his boys are going to live it up this summer and that it's going to be a white boy summer. And he's faced some serious backlash wow. online because of it. So now, and he leaves and released a load of merch with white boy summer <laughs> written on it. Whoa. And yeah, so uh, about three weeks after that was released because of the feedback he got, he released black queen summer t-shirts as well. Oh. So he, yin and yang, yeah. restored the balance there. And is it working? Like, are people buying that? Like, as in... And it's fucking expensive and right. not nice. Like, it's just a white t-shirt with like prison writing, like white boy summer written yeah. on it. But it's like $75 a t-shirt. Because he's Tom Hanks' son. I don't know what we're living in. I don't know we're living in fucking <laughs> space age. <laughs> yeah. What, so it's going to be a white boy summer here in Barrog. Right. <laughs> you just stand for going to grill out, make some bacon and sausages. <laughs> or your paper chooses his apron. Live yeah. Life 365. Yeah. That's our spirit here. <laughs> um, Pope John Paul II dying. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, uh, we had our successful poll where Ooh. Pope John Paul II, RIP, was clearly more popular than Jake Paul, the boxer, the yeah. YouTuber. 96% to 4. 96 to 4. Uh, so with John Paul II, that brought me back then to when John Paul died. And I cried when John Paul II died. I think I was like six years old. <laughs> and I don't, I'd like, I rarely cry when people die now. Like, but I cried when Pope John Paul II died. <laughs> because, and I didn't really know who he was. I was six. But we got... It was like the day he died, like it was like the middle of the day when it was announced he died. So everything stopped in school and the priest came over and like gave this like, got us all ready for this big news. And like, you know what I'm about to tell you and all he's building up, building up to this fucking moment. And he's like, Pope John Paul II <laughs> has passed away. And then everyone started crying. <laughs> no one knew who he was. And then they brought us all over to the church to pray for about John Paul II. And I was in the church. <laughs> Crying like this, crying for John Paul II, like proper tears down my face. And I completely forgot about that until I made that poll about Jake Paul. <laughs> and I, I can't believe how emotional I was over it. Was it because there was a frenzy of activity? You know, everyone was charged, the priest was yeah. here. You know, it was like, it could have been anyone. I was taken on a ride by a priest on this fucking emotional <laughs> roller coaster from this man I didn't know. Yeah. Like, like he got, it was like a five minute thing talking about life and its frailties and stuff. And he's like, and now I have something to tell you. Not John Paul. Not John Paul. Anyone put the ball. Do 
That's extraordinary. Uh, uh, yeah. So where were you when he died? I, I, I only remember his funeral. I remember uh, that I was over at the neighbours and um, the, I remember the the neighbour's mother saying, oh, now this is a big event now because it was summertime, I think. Or oh, it must have been a Saturday it was buried or something. I don't know. Mm. It was off anyway for it. And um, the fact that, no, this is a big event now. And uh, yeah, you saw the cortege in the... I remember seeing it all right. But sure, it's... Uh, I also remember seeing Ready Steady Cook in that house. And that was, <laughs> you know, it was a television event, I suppose. Heartless. So heartless. <laughs> Pope John Paul. He was yeah. the good one, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, I don't no, know why. He was like, definitely why? in the office when a lot of bad shit was going on. <laughs> he got out just in But time. he was very popular. Very popular, very popular. That's because the priest, the, it not had really come out, had it about the, the abuse and stuff. The, Perhaps, yeah. Mm. But regardless, on a personal level, mm. um, anyone... My aunt met him and they said there's there's a bit about him. The holiness. Yeah. His holiness. He had that sort of awe. Yeah. It's yeah. weird, isn't it? Mm. Well, your man Ratzinger, he wasn't flavoured him now, was he? He was a bit of a bollocks. No. They didn't like him. Well, he was German too, so German. That, that doesn't really bode in his favour. No. They, we don't like the Germans. Not us in general, just people in general like Germans. Mm. Sort of a bit off. Right. But... Uh, what was Pope John Paul? He was like Italian or something, wasn't he? He was a cool priest. No, he, he was from football. Krakow. Yes, he, he did play football. football. That's, yes, yeah. that's why we like him. He played football. And uh, Packy Bonner describes the experience of meeting him as well because Packy, a fellow goalkeeper, uh, they had a... They <laughs> oh, I thought you were about you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man? No, go on, go on. It's a no, no, it was just that they had to, yeah, they no, had an embrace. Like, and I think he has also commented on the the, the charisma of this man, the, the the personality. He was definitely the most well known. Like, I don't know who the priest is at the minute. Francis. Francis is it? Pope Francis. Yeah. See, I didn't know. I don't know who the priest is. The Pope. Yeah, I didn't know he was the Pope. You don't know. Really? That's the last one I remember. Wow, but this lad's Argentinian, and is he it? tries to be hip. Well, yeah, no. Oh, like, yeah, he's in up with the gays. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> you're supposed to say, yeah. <laughs> We're trying to get no, no, I saw the train, Michael. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a it's a bit confusing at the moment. We might actually have a podcast with uh, about a book that I read recently, yes. and we might dig down into this mm, subject. Yeah. But right now, I think we're going for a flash flood. By God. RTE have run out of lads in the canteen to ask to do things. They've had to go and get the grace in the Kenny. I don't know about grace. <laughs> Charismatic, great and good looking are not words I'd use to describe in the Kenny. A wet piece of cardboard on the side <laughs> of the road would have more charisma than in the Kenny talking about railways. It is the biggest load. Uh, Codswallop. Is the only way I describe it. But I will say, Michael, we often had the lunch of a Tuesday in the dog. We met Enda Kenny, and he's the very same as the boys on today FM say is, you know, ho, oh, boom, boom, going around punching lads. For a short man, he's a fair right hook on him. <laughs> so what what was that about? That was oh, so I this was this breaking up my Saturday morning. So there was this thing on RTE during the week called Iron Road Enda, and it was former Taoiseach Enda Kenny going around with railways and he was beating people. And it gripped Liveline during the week. Mm. And there was a highlights show of playback on RTE Radio 1 this morning. And do you know what? I'm going to try and find the clip. And Robbie, you might cut a bit because it was so good at the time. I was, I thought, um, 
This is sheer and utter class. Um, so he's going around during COVID meeting people. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or, well, it may have been pre-COVID, but the whole premise of it was, Janie, could they not have got someone else? Hasn't he got enough with the big pension? And, you know, that was the type of um, talk. Usher, who is going to do it? Some fucking Egypt giving out on Facebook on their couch. <laughs> you go fucking do it, John, you fucking arsehole. But I... I I know we're. I will get to it. I'd rather have anything. Electric Mercedes. Would you? Yeah. No, I like Larkin Allen. Space bound bound. Switch off. Was this Joe? Yeah, well, the fact that you no, no, the fact that you personalised it, the fact that you personalised it is no, I'm talking about Annie. Yeah, but his name, but Declan and Declan, Declan, in fairness to one of the the it's called Ian Road Ender. Yeah, so what? That's personalising it. Yeah, but his name is in the title. So what? That's his business. If Bertie Hearn wants to go on and do a documentary about something, if Bertie Hearn wants to write a book about railway lines or about that's his business. That's my point. Well, now, and if you thought that maybe there wouldn't be that many people getting ahead of steam up about this particular one, you would be wrong, very wrong. Here's former train driver Tony. The way he goes along on the bike and he stops and he gets off the bike and he leaves it down and takes off the helmet and, well, a smaller mongolia as well. And the way he speaks to uh, people and he's very gentlemanly with people. I think it's just a wonderful, uh, a wonderful programme and he does such a good job. Tony, Team Ender and Team Anybody But. I think that man is a total bore. I'm from a long background of Fine Gael and I just would not look at it with him on it. Yeah. There's plenty of people and artists and all out there with, with the pandemic that is looking for work. Enda Kenny has ha- had his pension, he's had his time. There's people crying out and people that have great Irish that could have done that job to give somebody a chance. Tony, though... Not a word will he have said against Arenda. No, no, it, you see, it doesn't work like that. When you <laughs> oh, said I think about it does. This, sorry, sorry, I think it does, and it should work like that. I'm not sure if you won't listen to me, fair enough. Sure, I've been with you for the last half an hour. That's what got me going. Half an hour? Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'd better go away. So no, no, because I'm on the line, Joe. I'm on the line. I'm only on about five minutes. I'd love to meet you sometime. You know, you have a funny way of measuring time. But anyway, <laughs> oh, running. I tell you what, it's running away on the ball at this time. Oh, so old. Ah, no, no. I, I'll tell you but what. I'll tell you what. Yeah. No, you should, you should have a cup of coffee. You're a very, very angry I don't, woman. I don't, I don't drink coffee, love. <laughs> well, drink tea, though. Oh, an angry woman. Ooh. But the spark, or something like it, between Tony and Anne continued. Declan also joined in. Joe, one more. Yeah, I'm trying to that. stop that man from talking. He's talking too much. Tony, Tony, we're going to get Tony your last point, please. The point about it is, this is an anti Enda Kenny. Oh, um, no, 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 no,
Are you, well, are you very friendly me. with Andy yourself? Tony, I never met Andy Kenny. And you're talking to Buddy. And just when you it's thought finished. it was all over, Joe did this. And as you're waiting in the train, you'll hear the guard make this refrain. Tony, Tony, Nancy, Aiden. You're right there, Michael. Do you think Do you that we'll be there before the night? Oh, well, we've been so long and stark that I couldn't say for certain. Are you right there? Vintage Lively. That was perfect. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Isn't that peak Joe Duffy, though? That is so Joe Duffy. Oh, I'd rather, who would you rather have a cup of tea with now, Tony or Anne? Tony, I Tony, think, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Tony was a former better. trade driver. Yeah. Imagine him driving the train. <laughs> oh, lads, you're in safe hands. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> I suppose we'll take one more TTP, maybe, Mark. Um, no Claire's way. buying sell cash. Oh, did you read the story? Um, oh, it took us. So there was a uh, another Claire's buy and sell story we have this week. So there was a someone, was I don't I think it was on Claire's buy and sell, wasn't it? It was it was in some gory group anyway. And this yeah. lady put up a post. So I read it out. Uh, it was Claire and Lane's buy and sell. Com- completely random question, but I was wondering if anyone had adopted a male black and white cat from the NSPCA in Gory about two years ago. His name was Loki. I was devastated giving up my gorgeous pets, but unfortunately I had no choice as myself and my son were at risk of homelessness and nowhere was taking pets. I think about them almost every day, in particular Loki, as I hand reared him and I know they are other and I know the other two are in great homes. I was just looking to find out how he was how he was, hoping he went to a good family. And after a few comments, it, do oh, we have right. the comment screenshot? No, I Did didn't see that. No. In the comments, somebody had Loki. No way. And she had a little bell and she looked happy out. Oh, that was I that was heartwarming. I that's thought that's gorgeous. That's great, isn't it? And someone ha- a... lucky happy out. And then the, you know the owner was like, you know, she didn't want lucky back, right? And she was just like, oh, I'm like, look how happy she is, and she was like tagging her friends in it, like, look, ah. lucky. yeah, it was really, it was very nice. Now that was truly that's why we have Claire's by themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's a great story. Yeah. You're a true journalist. Thank you. I know I'm in there. Gonzo <laughs> journalism. I get in amongst it. <laughs> Could be and cardboard boxes it could be fucking toilet cisterns <laughs> but this i get through it i weave through all that and get to the cats and finally mr journalist help mm-hmm. the french's pirates of arclo another story time <laughs> right, loads of stories this week so uh uh we'll start off with a miniature story and then we'll get oh. into the bigger story oh. so the miniature story i was driving down through arclo uh last weekend i was going down to the furniture shop i think this was at lunchtime and a fellow was walking past Joanne's Main Street of Arklow, and he had a little dog, no lead, walking about five yards behind him, happy out looking around. This man was playing a guitar, walking down the Main Street of Arklow by himself, singing away, hitting this guy. La 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 la. I rolled down the window. I was going to take a video, but sure, I was driving, and that's irresponsible, so I didn't. So <laughs> I, I just watched, and I was like, "Am I dreaming?" Yeah, but no, this man was like hitting this guy, looking up, playing a guitar. A little dog following him. It was like the Pied Piper and his mice behind him. And that was around the drove on anyway. And I've even, I'd never even said it to anyone because I, it was so strange. You know, it's just like, it didn't really register to me. And I, like, I get distracted easily. So I didn't think about it. So, but then the other day I was told, did you hear about the yacht being stolen the other day? So apparently there was a yacht that was nearly stolen down in Arklow because 
uh, some homeless French fellow got on the boat, tried to rob the yacht and was caught and was arrested. That was that same fella. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he apparently he was trying to get to America. <laughs> no idea how to drive a boat. He got on the boat, him and his dog, for heading for America. Wow. And they couldn't obviously couldn't drive the boat. He was stuck in the marina. There's uh, a song in that, isn't there? Just he's kind of, probably right now, right now. Yeah. <laughs> in prison right now, right now. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. Just this man. <sighs> And he's French fella going to America. Yeah. How he ended up in our club? Yeah. Like that's a whole, it's a, it is, it's, there's a novel in that somewhere. Yeah. Uncancelable. This is kind of related okay. to what you were, well, you'd be interested in this stuff. So, um, <laughs> people now have gone anonymous on Twitter to make themselves uncancelable. Okay. So they may have 30,000 followers, but they're starting from scratch and they're giving themselves like a joke title. It could be Detective Pancake. It could mm. be whatever it is. Mm. And they're starting afresh. Mm. Very interesting trend, I think. So these are people that have a large Twitter following. Yeah, and they've decided they're abandoning that mm. and they're going to become... Anonymous. Uh, yeah. So they can't be cancelled. Yes. So they can actually make jokes. Yes. Mm. Mm. Is it a good, it's a good idea, I suppose, for the purpose of free speech. It's difficult to see how it will grow because mm. we rely on... We think that everything comes from connection. And, you know... A connection and accountability because I think when your name is attached to something you think that you know everything that you do with it is more convinced uh, you're you have more, greater conviction about it yeah so if you like are you going to be connected on a personal level and as someone that follows that person are you going to be connected to that anonymous account as much mm. as you will be a real person yeah maybe you mm. will we're in a digital world now but yeah I don't know. I don't really like it. It's like having an air code, but not having your your full address on on your thing. You know, it's it kind of takes out a bit of personality. But yeah. then I suppose if you are threatened with cancellations, well then, you know, what do you think? Yeah, I can see why it would happen. It's going. It's hard to sort of build a personal brand, Ratton, though, isn't it? You sort of mm. if you you're like whatever your topic is. Obviously, these are probably people who are making jokes or whatever that are going to be cancelled. Yeah, it is. But like, there's also people that just have ideas and just you know yeah, just don't want to be policed on whether they think you know on political views and this type of thing. It's it's wrong that we have to do that, isn't it? Why are why are ideas policed? Why do ideas have the option of being made a crime? why can't i'm not saying there aren't bad ideas and i'm not saying that people haven't come up with some terrible ideas like germany mm. in the 1940s probably mm. probably a bad idea probably. like and that probably should have been stopped mm. but why can't you express a wrong opinion how do you find mm. out when you're right unless you're wrong yeah how do you find out what's right without finding out what's wrong and if you, you're afraid to voice that you just you, you fucking shriveled up don't you like mm. if you can't put it out and you can't be wrong and you can't say the wrong things and like swinging and hoping you fucking hit something like it that's mm. mainly how anything is fucking created isn't it it's like hitting hope yeah uh, um, and things are going to be wrong like how how far is it going to go with this stuff that people won't take responsibility for for their their endeavors like mm. you know it's worrying it's and it's it's something that um I don't really worry about because evidently <laughs> just you should give box pops. That's great. <laughs> it's worrying and it's something that I don't. <laughs> yes, the walking contradiction. I can't put it. Um, but I like that. Uh, it's it's not right, and 
the whole PC culture, it, it's all bollocks, really, isn't it? Like, it's just fucking words. It's a status <laughs> game. People say, oh, you can't say this, or you can't say that, or this word's bad, or that word's that. They don't even care that. They say those words in their private life as well. And when they hear them, they don't go, oh, no, the R word. <laughs> like, <laughs> the R Ah, stop. <laughs> Someone described something I said as problematic, actually, a while ago. Wow. Yeah, and that like now her person's intentions were good and they were oh, saying right. why I posted was funny but that was problematic right problematic is a ridiculous word something is either a problem or it's not <laughs> oh. how is something problematic <clears throat> right it's like saying air is oxygenomatic <laughs> <laughs> did you pull her up or did you mull over this I, for a few I, minutes I, I sent two laughy emojis and left it at that Ah. What, the, why would, what am I going to gain from fucking saying this to people, do you know? Yeah. Directly arguing with people. Yeah, you, Some people are wrong. Right. No, look, I could, I'm could. i probably wrong for what I say. Right. But, uh, yeah, I just, I think it's very easy to hide behind a blanket statement of um, being offended when you don't really know what you're talking about. Do you yeah. know? Uh, I was in, uh, I'm getting through that second Jordan Peterson book you sent oh, yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. And one of the chapters was, I can't remember the chapter of the title or the title of the chapter, but it was about the lady who was working in the corporate world and she had to spend, uh, I think it was oh, her yeah. job was to investigate the renaming of flip charts in her organization yeah, because yeah. the word flip was apparently derogatory towards Filipinos. Yeah. So they can't use flip charts and there were ongoing meetings, ongoing discussions to try to come up with a different word to use for flip chart in their business. And this is the kind of nonsense we're fucking dealing with, with the people that are cancelling people on Twitter. Um, so it's a dangerous game to fall down this sort of status signaling of being mm. offended or like because it becomes a competition and the reason that spiral in the book, like he goes into it, is be- it spiral because it became a t- competition to be the most woke so maybe we should be trying to go the other way or right. trying to be the least woke unwoke unwoke we want to be asleep <laughs> paper tuesdays get asleep bro <laughs> we're just gonna start saying the n-word here next week <laughs> tune in <laughs> oh wow what's your opinion on that now there's so much there and I have to like my gut reaction is that I agree with most, but um, I'm just more interested in how it evolves. So, like, is it going to result in is it is it this the way it's going? Like, you're just going to become anonymous to avoid being cancelled? Like, like I'd pull it back into that, and well, maybe that's just a political lens because look, that's the way it has been for. In social, I think this cancel culture is probably escalating over the past how long? Maybe three, four, five mm, years. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's picking up speed. Yeah, but I think it's also not. I I think it's starting to go back the other way. I think it's had its peak. All right, okay. I do. I do think that's had. Jordan Peterson himself, how he has survived it is very interesting because like when he spoke here in Dublin, um, there was a lot of people saying don't go near it. It's vitriol and. See, the problem is no one, the people that are criticizing Jordan Peterson probably haven't actually listened to what he has said. Yeah, no, they haven't. They've heard other people talk about him yeah. that they agree with. Yeah. Do you know, they're, how can anyone listen, actually listen to what he says and disagree with it? Yeah. It's very hard. So they, they have to be just following 
blindly. And we're going to follow blindly. <laughs> Podrick. <coughs> Podrick or Porrick? Or Pippi. His Pippi. nickname is Pippi. We're going to find out. Porrick. Uh, ah, what's the crack? How's things? What's very right? good, very good. How are you? Our first Limerick guest. Well, more Mayo guest. First Mayo guest. First international guest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> over here eventually. How's life? Which one's Michael? I'm Michael. And I'm, I'm Mark. Mark. Yeah. Very good. And you're both Wexford boys. Yeah, North Wexford, Gory men. So you're welcome down here anytime. Is it Podrick <laughs> or Pippi? Whichever, which you prefer. Uh, you can call me Pippi or Pip. Yeah, my friends call me Pippi or Pip. My name is uh, it's Porrick, but um, I say my mother is the only one that calls me Porrick, and that's usually when I'm in trouble. So stick <laughs> with Pippi. Are right, Pippi. Co- are you in college or are you still young lads? Or what's the crack? Oh, we like young you. at heart. <laughs> oh, we're not in college, mate. Those days are behind us. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> this man's a personal trainer, and that's a good reason to discuss your field of study. You're doing a PhD in physical education. So, what's it like? Why did you do, want to do it? And our attitudes towards PE changing, Pippi? I did a degree in physical education and English teaching. Do you know, right. and I started that in 2014. I've been in college ten years now. You know, so I mean, I've been pecking around the block at this stage, and. Um, I uh, I did a degree in physical education in English. I loved it, and decided I wanted to stick around a little bit longer. Therefore, I'm now doing, a, as you say, a PhD in physical education, physical activity, and sport and adolescence, and really looking at that in, as an impact on adolescent well-being. You know, and um, yeah, look, it's good. It's uh, it's tough. I read a st- statistic there recently that. There is 1% of the population, both nationally and internationally, with PhDs. And, you know, there is a reason for that because it's fucking hard, you know, mm. and uh, it takes up a, a lot of time. But you know what? It's good. It's good to be contributing to the research world. I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't in my area of interest. Do you know what I mean? You don't do a PhD unless you actually like your topic area. And thank God uh, I, I do like my topic area. So, yeah, I'm in my second year now. And. I think it's it's it was good to get over the hump of first year. You know, I jumped straight from an undergraduate into a PhD, which is a pretty big jump. And I wouldn't really recommend it, to be honest with you, because without those research skills that you might build up through a master's and going through the traditional route of doing a master's followed by a PhD, um, you'd be better off. I went straight in and I was a year behind, really, in terms of research and understanding research and looking at a paper and actually understanding what it meant uh, what a good research paper might be and the limitations of a bad research paper and all that kind of stuff so it's good to be in second year uh, it's good to have that year behind me and I kind of feel a bit more settled now and I'm, I'm enjoying it you know I think really what we're looking toward is the impact of physical education in schools nationwide uh, on young people's well-being and we all know the statistics around mental health at the minute young people depression anxiety bipolar schizophrenia and you know yourself lads um, I don't know if it was a Mick or Mark who said you're the gym instructor. Oh, me. Yeah. Oh, Mark. Very good. Yeah. Um, you know, I think it's almost a hidden secret, isn't it? Physical activity and the benefits of physical activity for our mind. It's I find it, you know, pretty incredible how little information there is out there for people who are not in the sporting or physical activity sphere in terms of its true benefits physically and mentally you know what I mean 
Yeah, and a lot of people make jokes as well. It's like, oh, ah, 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 why would I do exercise? They're like, that's not for me. Ah, I'm lazy. It's like, oh, you're fucking stupid. Like, why would you not do this? Uh, yeah. I don't get it. And it's, I think it is that what you're saying is it's just lack of knowledge, lack of information. Oh, yeah, no, for sure. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I think, I suppose I'm going through some of my own experiences and using physical activity uh, to, I suppose, conquer and, and um, medicate some of my own mental health issues over the years. You know, it's uh, it's the good word that needs to be spread, and um, you know, you like, even um, did three sessions a day sometimes. To you know, you were that invested in it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose I had some of my own problems. You know, many years ago, we're talking. Geez, we're talking ten years ago now, and um, it actually it kind of started initially when I I went from secondary school into first or to third level. And that transition going from secondary school into third level, I found quite tricky. I went from a very privileged uh, lifestyle, and we all have privileged lifestyle. Depend lifestyles depending on the lens that you look at it. You know, if you spend a bit of time in Africa, you'll realize that. And um, I think in terms of of that transition, I struggled. I struggled going into third level. I struggled having a good head on my shoulders. I struggled with um, making the right decisions with my own life. And I went from kind of a guy who maybe was permanently on cloud nine all the way through secondary school and had a great time throughout secondary school to a guy that really struggled in, in third level. I had a lot of fun, um, but very quickly, those hands of, of depression um, began to, to wrap themselves around me quite tightly. And, you know, yourselves, mental health, it knows no boundaries. It can affect anyone at any time. And it certainly began to affect me. And I think what happened for me was I basically, I took a, a back step from swimming competitive swimming my crutch all the way through my life and still is and um when i took that back step i, I began to struggle with my uh, my sense of identity really and um as i say i began to to feel very down on myself um began to, to feel very depressed and um you know my relationships began to break down with my family and my friends and you know the usual telltale signs of of depression but that that dark hole got bigger and bigger and you know we all have our peaks and troughs in life but when I look back in those times that was a, a deep hole of, of depression and my response to that would have been drinking would have been drug taking uh, and as some way of I suppose substituting um, that positive uh, release of endorphins in the brain that I used to get in swimming and um, through something else and I suppose my choice was was drinking and, and drugs and really it was a vicious cycle you drink you'd feel better you'd wake up the next day you'd feel shit. You'd drink again, you'd feel better. The next day you'd wake up and you'd feel shit. And, and slowly but surely you, you get more and more down and, and more and more depressed. And I became suicidal, you know, in the space of six months, I went from kind of swimming on the Irish team to, you know, to, to going to the World Life Saving Championships and winning medals to just, you know, a, a down and depressed um, young man. And one day I decided to, to that, that was it. And I wanted to take my own life. And I suppose I, I was very lucky. Um, the rope that I used uh, snapped. And um, when I hit the, the ground below, it was a real sobering moment. You know, I couldn't believe uh, that I had tried to, to do what I what I had done. And I think for anyone out there that's listening, you guys, anyone that's feeling down, it's important to mention that those, em those emotions that you're feeling, uh, they are temporary. They, they do not last. But unfortunately, when you're in that bubble, it's very hard to see outside of the present moment and the, the weight of the world that, that can be on your shoulders to depression or anxiety and so on. And for those couple of moments that I was, 
I thought I was gonna um to, gonna die, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it was an instant regret. It was an instant regret whereby I thought to myself, well, you know what, my family and friends will never know that I did want to live, but I just didn't know how to, I didn't know how to live uh, sober. I didn't know how to live uh, without that weight of, of de depression on me. And, you know, this is 10 years ago. This is back in a time when there's stigma today around depression. There's a lot more stigma uh, 10 years ago and the, the shame that came with it. And yeah, you're right. My, my, um, my recovery began with physical activity and uh, the dose that, that I gave myself was three physical activity sessions uh, every single day for 30 days straight. And that was, I suppose, the, the dose that I probably felt uh, I needed at that time. I do a, a swim session in the morning. I do a run session in the afternoon. And then I do like some sort of uh, physical activity or social interaction, physical activity session in, in the evenings. And, you know, you can't underestimate the, the importance of being physically active. And really with that, the, the fruits of true physical activity, they, they lie with an elevated heart rate. And there's too many people today that are going through the motions uh, when they're physically active. You know, they're throwing a dumbbell here, there, and every, there, everywhere. They might go for a little walk. The true fruits of it, they lie with an elevated heart rate. And most importantly, getting comfortable uh, with being uncomfortable. And if you can begin to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, uh, with tightness across the chest, with a red face, with uh, an elevated heart rate, then you're much more likely to handle uh, the peaks and troughs and the toxicity of life uh, that's, that's thrown at us on a daily basis. And you're building those skills of resilience, of determination, of commitment, of, of work ethic, of discipline that are, are easily transferable um, in, into everyday life, that are easily transferable into the, the tough project you have, into the, the symptoms of depression that you might be feeling or, or anxiety. And, you know, you, what's more than that if you elevate your heart rate to a high enough level you can't even think about you know how down you feel or how anxious you feel it forces you into the present moment and you can only focus on the pain that you're feeling through being physically active within that controlled environment and you know the same can be said for cold water therapy you see yourselves today cold water therapy is a big deal you know and it's psychologists and counselors up and down the country who are prescribing cold water therapy for their patients really oh my gosh we're, we have a cold shower group um we're we're into in it since january 1st so oh, yeah. yeah we're we're hard at it with the cold water all right um, i'm sure a lot of that resonates with you yeah it's literally what you were saying there made a lot of sense do you do you reckon that moment was the catalyst sort of with the rope when the rope snapped was that when it changed and the other thing it, it kind of is what you're saying there. Like it's a fight for your life. And people say that in kind of a grandiose or they don't really see it as real or it's, it's um, what's word glib, but it's yeah. literally what you're describing there is a fight for your life. Like you have to train hard. You have to exercise those demons literally to get them out. And I, like, I've been in those places before, like deep fucking low depression. And it's the fight back from that is what makes life worthwhile and life meaningful. And now you have, an enemy that like you can even give it a fucking name your laziness your resentment your <laughs> sadness all of that and that can be the thing that you go up and you train against and you go to war with every single day yeah absolutely and the fruits of that are just they're they're no end and as you say with the cold water therapy it's the same ideology you get into cold water you can only focus on the cold water that you're in at that present moment it forces you into the present moment you can't think about how anxious you feel or how depressed you feel um, I think the research term they like to use is exposure. The more you expose yourself to an elevated heart rate or to, to cold water, the more yeah. you are likely to be able to handle 
uh, the symptoms that come with some of those mental health issues, you know? Yeah. Mm. Pippi, on a personal level then, you were, um, tell us how you felt before you went to the US. Yeah, so, <laughs> oh, I could ramble here all day, so make sure you cut across <laughs> me when I do, when I do go on a rampage. Um, look, I think I came out of, of the depression I felt at that time, and thankfully I, I, I moved into a better place, and, you know, I finished in UCD, I went to Olympic trials and um, made a little bit of a comeback, and life was good, and I went to UL, and I was struggling. I think those demons began to, to really resurface again for me, but in a much different and maybe even deeper way. Um, and, you know, the way I describe it really is by day before I went to the States, I was living a, you know, a model lifestyle. And by night I was living a life that was underpinned really by um, heavy addiction to, to drink and drugs. And maybe over a three year period or so, I'd say I could count the amount of times I was sober and on two hands. And, um i think if you were to say it to me at the time i would have told you you're mad and i don't have any issues but slowly but surely i think you know i began to spend all my money on drugs i had no money for food i'd be shoplifting to feed myself i was in and out of guard stations and in and out of courthouses and i think when you you're sitting in a courthouse for the umpteen time with your mother sitting beside you and you know and coming from a good family at that uh, you begin to realize that maybe these issues are, are gone a little bit deeper and I remember sitting beside my mother one day and uh, I remember saying to her you know I was crying and I said to her you know I, I just want to live a normal life I just want to get up and go to work and go for a surf in the evening and just live a normal life because I think my life was so um, underpinned by drugs at that point that I didn't actually know how to live a normal life anymore I didn't know how to live a life where I wasn't constantly thinking about drugs and getting that buzz on uh, on a regular basis. And she used to say to me, she said, you know, you're playing roulette, rush, you know, you're playing roulette in terms of your mental health, psychiatric wards, drug-induced psychosis, and that, that type of thing. And I said to her, you're, you're mad. Like, you know, that, that type of thing doesn't happen. It doesn't happen to me. It doesn't happen to my friends, that kind of thing. And sure enough, you know, today I've got friends up and down the country in psychiatric wards, drug-induced psychosis, schizophrenia. And um, I think it's worth mentioning that these people are stuck with that for the rest of their lives, but so are their families, you know, and I think a big, okay, yeah. I think a big part of that is the people you hang out with, you know, who do you hang out with on a daily basis? And, and, and that tells you a lot. So yeah, you're right. I got offered the, the opportunity to go on Erasmus to the States. And before I went there, I had a lot of issues. I didn't think I was going to get a visa to go, but I did lucky enough. Um, and before I left, I decided, you know what, it's time to go sober, I'm trying to clean up my act before I go, stateside and, and try and enjoy myself so my mother brought me to a rehabilitation center and um i got in there and i ended up not staying because it was a 35 day i suppose round of aa or whatever you want to call it where you sleep over and all that crack in swinford in county mayo and um I, instead i just went sober because i was due to go to the states within three weeks of my stint staying there you know what i mean and i wanted to go so i went sober i convinced everybody that i was on the right track when really in the back of my mind i always knew that as soon as i landed stateside i i would go back on the buzz and I'd go back drinking and, and making poor choices and that's exactly mm. what i did and i think from a spiritual point of view i'd be i would be very spiritual i always have been since a young age albeit I may have fallen off the bandwagon during that time. Um, 
from a spiritual point of view, I think, you know, if you believe in a higher power and if you believe in, in a God, I think God was furious at me when I landed in the States, you know, after I convinced everyone that I was on a good path, even though I knew myself, I wasn't. And I think what happened in the States was, I believe that I was put in that, that car crash as, you know, a, a last chance saloon, you know, either this guy's going to end up dead or in jail and, and we need to do something to fix it. And that's what happened. I went to the States and I was in a car crash and, you know, Talk us through that character because, uh, like, to be honest, that could be a podcast episode on its own. So, like, <laughs> uh, bring us to Death Valley. That's second of September, twenty sixteen, and the, what happens to the car? Jeez, you've done your homework. Fair play. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, well, look, we we went to. I was there only a week and a half. I just landed, and that's the thing. You know, I was a high functioning addict because the only reason I was in the states was because I did very well in my in my exams, did very well in my class, came top of my ear. That's the only reason I got that spot, you know? So I had myself convinced I didn't have any issues when beside it all I did. But uh, look, we went to a place called Lake Tahoe, or that was where we were aiming to go. And we were driving through a place called Death Valley, ironic as that sounds. And um, we had a flat tire in the, in the middle of Death Valley. None of us knew how to change a tire, would you believe lads? So clearly that's something um, that we had to learn uh, thereafter and anyone that's listening I, I definitely advise you learn how to change a tire it's important it's something i should have learned at a lot younger age but none of us knew how to change a tire so we had to to wait for a, a truck driver to pull up and change the tire for us and um put the tire on the car and away we went and maybe it was a matter of five maybe ten minutes later we were involved in a, a rollover accident in death valley and we were just driving down a hill and around a bend the tire that had just been changed actually burst and uh, came off the car it was a jeep so it dropped and rolled it flipped over multiple times and landed on its side um you know before i knew it everyone had jumped out of the car by bar myself and the driver and we had kind of bore a, a big chunk of the impact because we were sitting on the same side as where the tire burst i was sitting just over the tire and the driver was clearly sitting in front of me and um you know what they say like it's it's true you know it's true these things do happen in the blink of an eye and before I know, uh, before I knew it, um, it had happened, and I remember poking my head out of the the side window. You know, the car was on the side, and kind of dangling my arms out of the the window, and just looking up and and feeling the heat from the sun in Death Valley. You know, it's known as one of the hottest places on earth, and I'd absolutely believe that. And what happened next, I can only describe as an unbelievable experience. And the only way I can describe it really is that um, God spoke to me, and you know, He. Uh, he told me to get back into the car and bearing in mind getting back into the wreck of a car seemed like a, a crazy idea at the, that time, but I did. Um, he told me to put my back up against the roof of the car, which I did. And he told me to tell the girls to get a pillow from the boot and put it behind my head, which I did. So if you can imagine I was sitting in a squat position, my back uh, directly up against the roof of the car and a pillow behind my head, which turned out to be a perfect makeshift spinal position, you know, and bearing in mind, I had no idea that I had any spinal issues at this uh, moment in time. So, you know, adrenaline is an amazing thing and it very quickly began to wear off. I no feeling down my left hand side. I'd, uh, I had no feeling um, at all, really. I was unable to move. And at the time, I kept moving my eyes up, down, left, and right as if that was, it was kind of calming me. It was giving me an adequate substitute. And I thought I was going to be paralyzed. And uh, he spoke to me again. God spoke to me again, you know, and he said, have I ever let you down before? He said, um, you're not going to be paralyzed, but you're going to have a severe neck injury. And 
as soon as he said that to me, just an overwhelming sense of calm came over me. I completely trusted and believed in the, in the voice that I'd heard. And I just knew I was going to be all right. I was in the car for two hours after that because we were in the middle of the Death Valley. We had no coverage. We were waiting for someone to find us and drive to the nearest town and, and call uh, for an ambulance. And it honestly felt like 15, 20 minutes. And um, when the ambulance arrived, pulled myself and the driver out of the car and told us in no uncertain terms they were going to have to call a, a, a helicopter to, to, to fly us to the nearest level one trauma center. And when the first helicopter arrived, they actually did a health check on us because they decided that they could only take one of us, right? And um, they did a health check. My heart rate was perfect. My blood pressure was perfect. Um, and they decided to take the driver first. I followed about half an hour later. And it actually turned out in the end that I had broken my neck in three places. I'd broken my, uh, my back in four places and I'd broken my foot in two places. And you know, I remember in the helicopter, you know, I, I've, I'm, I have a fear of flying. So this was something like something from a movie, you know, being flown off in this helicopter after a bad car crash. And, I remember kind of lying there and, and just being able to see the lights of uh, of Las Vegas, the strip of Las Vegas below me and thinking to myself, you know, Pip, enjoy this because, you know, you might never get to see the lights of Las Vegas in a helicopter again, you know, so. <laughs> so we landed into a level one trauma center just off the strip and that's where the recovery began really, you know, mentally and physically, addiction wise. Yeah. And, and it all came from that place that, well, you knew you weren't going to be paralyzed, but like talk is true again. Like you must think back to that moment, like, and Janie, I heard that. What, what was it that I heard and everything? Like what, 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 what's your reflective thought on it now? It was completely natural. Um, I didn't even question it. I didn't even think about it for a couple of days later. Like I said, I did always have a strong faith. My, my training diaries over the years, We'll always have references to God and, and that gratefulness to God and the opportunities that we given in the water. Uh, I, I would talk to God on a daily basis anyway, you know, through prayer. But this was different. Um, however, it was, it was very natural. It was very soothing. I didn't even think twice about it. It just happened. And um, I think that moment when, you know, God said, you know, it was very frank with me, you know, and said, you're not going to be paralyzed, but you're going to have a severe neck injury. It's not like, it's not like he gave me the best news there either. You know what I mean? But to be told I wasn't paralyzed was, was a gift, you know, because I knew that if I wasn't paralyzed, that the ball was on my court. And if the ball was on my court, I'd be able to apply all those skills that I've learned in the water over the years, like discipline and work, work ethic and commitment and transfer them uh, straight across uh, into my recovery. And, and, and that's what I did. It was, a, it was a lengthy process. I was there for, you know, a year. And... Um, you know, I was bed bound for quite some time. I, uh, I had to learn all the fundamental movements again. You know, I had to learn how to, to walk, to sit out on my bed, to use a Zimmer frame, to wash, all those things that we take for granted, like holding a pen, standing outside, putting on my shoes, having a shave. All those things that we take for granted on a daily basis was taken away from me, was stripped down uh, to the bare minimum. And that's what I needed to almost be reborn uh, and open that door into a new life. And I remember in the rehabilitation center i was just learning to walk this is a, a, maybe six months in i was living in this rehabilitation center maybe not quite six months and um there was like a strip of pavement at the back of the the rehabilitation center maybe five meters long and um 
I was practicing my walking. I was walking like a soldier, you know, with my big brace on me from my bum right up to my chin and another brace on my leg. And I remember I got to the gate and I loved watching the world go by. And this gate was massive, you know, it was like a jail, jail cell. But you could actually see the world go by through it. And I remember just putting my hand on that gate and thinking to myself, I'm never going to take uh, any of my, you know, my life for granted again. And it was just like that, you know, the demons left me and I opened the door to, to a new life. And, and like I say, anyone that's listening, you guys, uh, anyone that has issues, you know, don't wait for your your car crash to, to change your life because I got lucky. I got a second chance, but um, you might not. So it's important to grab life with a scruff of the neck and, and, and make it yours, you know? Yeah. You were blessed with uh, the people that helped you through your journey, like that Nevada diplomat. That's true. That's a true representative of our country. And um, the Lutheran minister, well, he's a true, they're true representatives of God anyway. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> tell us about those people. Yeah, look, I think uh, I met some unbelievable people over there. I had, you know, I've had some unbelievable people in my life the whole way through. You know, mm. I wouldn't be, I would not be here today if it wasn't for my family and my friends and, and the people I've met uh, over the years and you're right the Irish consulate of Nevada Teresa Murphy she used to come and visit me every day she didn't even know me she just heard about my car crash she used to come and visit me every single day in the hospital she used to bring me fish and chips she used to bring me cans she bring me anything that I, that I wanted like you know and but more importantly she was such a, a lovable figure and a, you know a, a mother away from home and when I moved out of the, the rehabilitation center and became an outpatient, she she invited me to come live with her. And she actually put a hospital bed into her into her house, invited to me, to me to go live with her. I lived with her. She brought me to all my appointments. She made me dinner. We used to call her Mother Teresa, you know, and she was uh, incredibly good to me. Um, I was there for a number of months and then I moved out. And, you know, I think I became a bit of a burden, actually, towards the end. It, it was a massive task to look after me because I could do absolutely nothing for myself. And um, I know Teresa, her, her own daughter, had, um, had a few health issues towards the end of my time with Teresa. And it just came to that point where I knew it was time to, to move on, you know? And I, again, I got lucky. I was in physical therapy. I became very friendly with the staff there. You know, the Irish, we have good personalities. We get on well with people, and especially in America, because they, they really enjoy the Irish, you know? And, I met a guy over there and became friendly with them, moved in with them. And look, they were very good to, to put me up. They were very good to me. It just wasn't the place for me. Um, there was different things maybe going on that, that didn't really suit me. Um, that was maybe, you know, places that I was trying to move away from. It was just a couple of drinks or whatever it was. I just knew it wasn't the environment uh, for me at that particular time. So there was actually a church across the road from the house I was staying in. And... Um, it was a Lutheran church, never, never been to a Lutheran church, didn't know anything about Lutherans, didn't really know what, what they were, you know what I mean? So I went into this church anyway and just sat there and um, said a few prayers, got talking to the pastor and within a week or two, I was attending this church five, six days a week. I was going to Bible studies, I, was, I joined the choir, I was singing, you know, an Easter Sunday Mass and it was, a, it was a real milestone in terms of my own spiritual development. You know, and I'm, no, I'm not a Bible basher by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but I have a strong faith and I like to just lead it by example in that faith. And if people want to follow, that's great. But if they don't, that's okay too. I'm not one to, to sit here and, and force people into, into beliefs and to believe in something they don't want to believe or do want to believe. You know what I mean? Um, 
so yeah, it was great. It was great there. And I moved in. I ended up moving in with the pastor and his wife. And what an experience it was. You know, I think they live such a uh, a fresh, honest lifestyle that I was seeking. I wanted to live an honest life. I knew I was a good lad, but I had problems, you know, and I wanted to live that life that they were living, that honest life where you, you could be proud of the choices you were making. And I lived with them for a number of months before I, I came back to Ireland. And, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience. And I remember Paul, the pastor in that church, he said to me before I left um, and his good wife, Erica, they said to me, you know, when you leave, stay in the word, which may basically means just stay in the word of God, you know, stay in a community, um, pray, stay in a spiritual belief of some sort. And that's exactly what I've done. And, you know, I'm four years clean now and nearly two years sober and, I stayed on a good path and, and um, fingers crossed that will, that will last for a long time, you know. Pippi, it's a powerful account. Um, is your, like, it's, 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 it's extraordinary, really, a life that you've lived and, and a whole life ahead of you. It's, it's, it proves the, the, the limitless potential of the human being. But I want to get the, a sense of your outlook today in that, like, looking back on it, other people, as you say, other people in psych wards, other people in dealing with the courts and and the guardie today like do you have a greater empathy for people in those positions today what 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 strikes you now people maybe who are struggling with addiction and stuff is it yeah yeah and are grab are like shoplifting or you know you know in a don't have that normality of life that you uh referenced in your conversation with your mom yeah 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 look i think addiction until you're in it, you can't judge it, you know, and we make terrible decisions when we're addicted and we're, when we're addicts and, um, you know, I stole because I needed to eat and I had no money to eat and I, I needed to eat somehow. Do you know what I mean? Um, when I look at people today and their struggles, yeah, of course my heart goes out to them. I always think there's a way, but you need some serious willpower and some serious strength. And I think, I needed a car crash to put my life back in order and a near death experience. And it is, it is definitely tough to make those adjustments. When I look back on it, it would have been very tough for me to make those adjustments without that almost death experience. You know, at the time I had, I had kind of come to the realization that yes, I'm going to be in jail. I had accepted that because, uh, drug use and addiction had such a strong hold on me you know it was the captain of the ship and I was happy to follow because I I knew no way out you know and I think for people who are struggling out there today there is a way out of course there is um there are a lot of services out there it's important to have the right people around you family friends um but ultimately you have to actually want to do it yeah you actually be the captain of your ship that's the metaphor you're yeah that's a powerful one and i suppose it's having the recognition of you know is there something as that is serving as the captain of my ship at the moment yeah you know like yeah you have to want it and you can kid yourself i would have told you all through the years that i wanted it but when i look back on it i actually didn't Mm. i i love getting high i love drink and i loved all those things and it's so much easier it is so much easier to make those choices. You know, even today, like, it's hard. It's hard to live that straight life all the time. It's much harder to live a straight life than it is just to pop a pill or, you know, uh, 
smoke a joint or drink a pint, it's much easier to do that. But I think when you get the right people around you and you begin to make the right choices and you build what's called momentum and you get a little bit of momentum behind you and you build on that for a month, for six months, for a year, for two years, for three years, for four years, you get more momentum behind you and you commit to things like this. There's a reason I do podcasts. There's a reason I do mental health talks because it holds me accountable. The more talks that I do, the more podcasts that I do, the more accountable I am to myself in ensuring that I stay on a good path. So these are just as oh. these talks are just as fulfilling for me as they are for anyone that that listens or anyone that mm. interviews. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're building on that with the with the Pip Foundation. Um, this is right in its infancy now at the moment. So te- what's your vision for it? Yeah, well, I suppose we are with the Pip Foundation, Prosperity in People, um, and that really has been founded upon Shine a Light, which is about four years in existence, and really it's it's a it's a rebrand. And there's been reasons behind that. Um, we're rebranding as the PIP Foundation, prosperity in people, uh, helping the most vulnerable in society, in society lifting people uh, up to be prosperous mentally, physically, emotionally, sexually, and in every way that we uh, possibly can think of. And within the PIP Foundation, we've got two key pillars, the first of which is uh, homelessness, and the second is well-being. Within the homeless pillar, that was actually founded uh, upon the states upon the car crash and spending a bit of time over there during Christmas and Christmas day, I bumped into a a few people who were homeless and um, they asked me for money. I said, look, I won't give you money, but I'll I'll buy you a meal. And I bought them a meal and it turned out to be a mother and her son. They had been evicted from their home. They'd fallen victim of society over in the United States and uh, were living down in the sewers. And it was a story that touched my heart. And I said, if I could, I would set something up uh, in their name. And that resulted in Shine a Light three years ago, which is now the Pitt Foundation. And really what we do is we run numerous campaigns across the country where we distribute um, goods applicable to homeless hands so we've got numerous donation points where we collect anything such as clothing such as non-perishable food items such as hygiene products such as liquids and out of all the items that we get we make pip packs and in each pip pack uh, there's a hat a scarf a pair of gloves a pair of socks a jacket a t-shirt a jumper uh, some hygiene products like your toothbrushes your toothpaste your shower gels if the homeless happen, happen to get themselves into uh, temporary accommodation your liquids um, and your non-perishable food items and you know we run as I say numerous campaigns across the country with you know hundreds of volunteers up till now obviously things are a little bit different at the minute with COVID we're more in a van and doing deliveries to, to different homeless uh, shelters but you know the Pitt Foundation is unique in many ways because it offers volunteers an opportunity to ensure that their donation uh, goes directly to homeless hands and often volunteers when on the ground outside of COVID uh, will realize that these homeless people are just like you and I, but they haven't got the same social supports around them that you and I are lucky to have around us on a daily basis. And something that we've certainly noticed is the correlation between mental health and homelessness, you know, be it depression, bipolar, anxiety, schizophrenia. You don't need me to tell you the progressive psychological deterioration resulting from uh, dependency on a substance such as alcohol and drugs. We've seen the cuts in the, the mental health um, in, the, in the mental budget and indeed in social housing and and this is now reflected in the cities uh, the towns the streets the length and breadth of ireland and through the pit foundation we're dedicated to to highlighting many of these uh, core issues you know and in terms of facts the the facts are going up all the time you know there's eleven thousand people homeless today in this country um there's four thousand of those that are young people going into their second third and fourth 
Christmas uh, and temporary accommodation. There's 183,000 vacant dwellings in this country, um, yet there's 11,000 homeless. So I'll let you do the, ma do the mathematics on that one, but it's simply a problem that should not, should not exist, you know, and in terms of mental health, the, the stats are just as bad. You know, you've got 6,000 people at the minute in this country currently waiting for primary care psychology appointments. And again, half of those are young and they're, they're waiting for well over a year. So that's one key area within uh, the PIP Foundation. We're, we're trying to help the homeless. Look, we're not going to end homelessness the way we are at the minute, but certainly in time, we would love to he head into that direction. We're looking at distribution. We're looking at education and schools, clubs, societies, talking about overcoming adversity and giving back to those who need it most and, and, and skill development, which we're working on at the minute. The other kind of pillar within uh, the PIP Foundation is well-being. And we already talked about the kind of correlation there between homelessness and well-being, but this is a new uh, pillar which is, is being developed as we speak. And really within that, we aim to have a key kind of key key um, peer supports such as myself. So, I, you know, I could be a peer support around depression, around anxiety. We might have someone else that um, would be a peer support around abuse. We might have someone else who might be a peer support around um issues around health if you know if you're getting a transplant and so on and those details will be up on the website whereby people can reach out and get in contact with these people but also we'll have our own kind of ted style uh, talks and we've got a section in there as well dedicated to research which links in with the phd so like the impact of physical activity on depression and a, you know a really good um reliable paper within a reliable journal and so on and it would be a good source to, to have some research papers so look it's it's something that what's the website it's well it was www.shinelight.homeless.com but at the minute it's well i suppose it's going to be www.thepipfoundation.com but we're still actually we're still developing at the minute so you won't find it right now but it will be we'll, yeah it'll be up in, in we'll keep an eye on it and sure we'll share it on our socials when uh, when it's launched um, yeah for sure what, what are the key messages that you distill for someone like and for yourself i'm sure principles that you live by for um to stay on the path that you're on well look first and foremost you got to talk don't you a problem shared is a problem halved um, and I know we've all heard that saying before but it's true and um, what I'll say to you is if you're struggling uh, you're not alone and it's okay uh, not to be okay you know but I think when I first had my own struggles I felt I felt very ashamed you know you're a pippy you've got all these great things happening in your life how can you feel bad? How can you feel down? Like you, you've no right to feel down. You've got every privilege under the sun. Well, no, it's okay actually to feel down. It's okay to feel anxious. It's okay uh, to feel um, those kind of dark hands of, of addiction and to understand that there is a way out. We talked about physical activity as a huge crutch uh, that can be used. You know, we've got the likes of diet control. You cannot underestimate the importance of what we put into our body on a daily basis. It absolutely affects the lens at which uh, we, we choose to look at the world and you know it's not rocket science you know drink your water get your water in every day eat your breakfast your lunch your dinner your varied meals in terms of your carbohydrates your proteins uh, your fruit your veg your high doses of vitamin b12 which has been proven uh, to have a positive psychological process in the brain whether it's um whether it's through fish or, or kidney beans and so on you know you've got your physical activity you've got your diet what about your sleep are you getting consistent sleep on a regular basis? Are you getting your eight hours every single night? You cannot underestimate the importance of getting sleep on a regular basis. And in this country, we are great for saying, you know, five, six hours, seven hours is more than enough. 
But what's happening there is you're getting used to, to working at 60%. You're getting used and you're training your body to work at 70% or 50%. But once you start to get your eight hours sleep a night, you're all of a sudden working 80 and 90 at 100%. You're much sharper in between the years. And this absolutely allows you to function much better in terms of your well-being. And the last area there is your social interaction. Are you socially interactive? You know, and a key word in the research world we like to use is a perceived a perceived barrier. So social act, social interaction is a perceived barrier. When really, if you want to be socially active, you can be socially active. There are more than enough platforms uh, to do so. And the point here is, lads, you know yourselves, these things are free. These things are free. Your physical activity, your diet, your sleep, and your social interaction, your cold water therapy. These areas are free. These areas are, are, are areas that you can take control of today. You know, if I go into a dermatologist tomorrow and I have really bad acne, which I used to have, and I did go into a dermatologist, and you're going to see that the most invasive medication that they're going to give you is Roaccutane. Now, before you get to Roaccutane, they're going to go through about 15 other creams, gels, and so on until they get to the most invasive. Well, why is that not being implemented uh, with regards to our mental health, with regards to depression and anxiety before we get to our Xanax and our Valium and our... Um, our pills for depression which do serve a purpose which do serve a purpose why aren't we going through these areas that are free that are in within your control your physical activity your diet okay if you're not physically active let's give you a dose of two physical activity sessions a week at a moderate to vigorous intensity what's your diet like okay you're not eating right let's make sure that we get our, our three meals in a day that you're getting your fruit your veg and so on your social interaction uh, and your sleep these areas are free and they're areas that you can take control of and the thing is you will feel better. You absolutely will feel better. That is a mathematical uh, certainty. You might not be cured, uh, but you will feel better. And, and these are areas that just most definitely have to be tapped into, don't they? Mm. Yeah. Mark, are there any takeaways that you have? Or... No. Do you mind me asking, Pippi, just what your physical condition is now after your crash or, you know, what sort of? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's good. Yeah, it's good. I, I look after myself. Um, look, there's certain things that I... I think you just adapt, don't you? You know, for example, when I'm sitting in a chair, I have to have my elbows resting on something to just give me a little bit of support. Um, so it's just things that you adapt to. You know, I wouldn't lift anything crazy heavy. I try and bend the right way. But ultimately, it's uh, it's been a blessing because it's made me live my life much better. I do rehab every single day. It's part of my life now. Um, but I enjoy doing rehab. I'm more flexible than I've ever been. And I'd like to think I'm probably stronger than I've ever been. Are there things that I struggle with? Yeah, absolutely. Like everyone does. Will I go to the Olympics? No, but hopefully I'll, I'll coach someone there someday. And you know what? I'm happy to be running, man. I'm happy to be walking. I'm happy to be moving. I think once everything is taken away from you like that, just getting up off your ass feels like a privilege when you're stuck to a bed uh, for almost a year, you know? So, yeah. Pippi, great story. Have you any hopes for the future or anything? Just keep working hard, man. That's all you can do, isn't yeah. it? You know, I, when I give these kind of talks, I often leave, I often leave, you know, leave them on a keynote. And I think that keynote for me is it's a key word and it's consistency. Oh, you yeah. Know, whether you want to be uh, an astronaut, you know, a pilot, an academic, whether you want to just sit in your arse, whether you want to be a, a great father, a great mother, a great uncle, auntie, whatever you want to be, you can do it as long as you are consistently great every single day, every week, every month, every year. And that can be tricky, absolutely. But once you get a taste for that consistency and the fruits 
uh, that it yields, you, you can't get enough. And if you are consistent, you will get to where you need to be. And I, I know when I was struggling with my recovery at one point, someone pulled me aside. I was getting frustrated and, you know, I thought it was taking very long. I was frustrated with the length of the process. And someone said to me, you got to pretend you're 300 pounds overweight. You're going to lose that weight, but it's not going to happen overnight. And the same can be said for, for you or anyone else. Once you're consistent on a daily basis, you get to, to, to where you need to be. It's, it's mathematical certainty. I think we're not very good at it in this country, are we? We expect change from a pill or we expect change over a week of training or a month of training. No, be consistent on a daily basis. Have no other expectations other than the fact that you expect yourself to work hard and great things will happen. Brilliant. That's a great note, Ted. Oh, Liam Dunn. Oh, Liam Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> we end our podcast with a line from the book, I Crossed the Line, the autobiography of Wexford Hurler, Liam Dunn. Oh, Maybe brilliant. You, yeah, you, go for it. You can pick a page between 1 and 288. <laughs> no, we'll go, with, we'll go with 288. <laughs> oh, challenge. <gasps> it's a blank page. Mm. That's the blank page of your life. <laughs> oh, wow. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry, 286 is the last page, actually. Do you know what? We'll go 23. Right. 23. Mark. Next thing, awfully brought on John Troy as a sub. There a bit of history between us going back to 1994 when he pulled wildly on me and I nearly and nearly took my head off. And 1996, when still bearing a grudge, I did the same to him. Oh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh it's a brilliant book, Pippi. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very good, lads. Fair play. Pippi, thanks a million for generosity and your time this evening yeah, and no. keep her lit. Yeah, no problem at all, guys. Thank you. Thanks very Cheers, much. Cheers, Pippi. Yeah, take care. Good luck. Bye-bye. Talk to you.